I want to ask you a question. Do you think of yourself as a patient person? Like when you're stuck in traffic, waiting in a long line? How many of you would say that you identify yourself or you identify patience as something that you struggle with? Many of us struggle, at least a little bit, with patience, right? Sometimes I have to say patience is really a challenge for me. Um, I, I like to keep moving forward, whether it's in traffic or in the line in the grocery store or just in my daily schedule, I, I like to be moving forward. If something's broken, I like to fix it. If something needs to be done, I like to do it. I just, I like to keep moving. And actually, though, you might be surprised about this, I am actually a very patient person behind the wheel of a car. I don't, I don't know why. It's, it's just that for me, like, being in a car is so relaxing because there's nothing else I can be doing in this moment but just driving. And it feels like this little cocoon of just margin of time. So I don't even mind being caught in traffic. But when it comes to my schedule being interrupted and or... Um, like being in a meeting where there's talking and talking going on senselessly, I find myself being really, really frustrated and impatient. Like how many of you love that moment where you're at the DMV and you're waiting for your number to be called and there's like 300 names ahead of yours? Like those types of things make me feel really impatient. So patience is something I I need the Lord to speak to me today um, as well. It's been said that patience is not simply the ability to wait, but it's how we behave while we're waiting. How we behave. Now, there was a study done not too long ago by the Timex Watch Company. And they wanted to do a study to see how long people would wait on average for certain types of daily activities. And this is what they found. They found that we are only willing to wait 13 seconds behind a car at a green light before we'll start, start honking. They found that we'll wait 26 seconds before shushing people who are talking in a movie theater. Apparently, we'll wait 26 seconds before we'll take the seat of somebody who's gotten up and walked away. We will wait 45 seconds before we ask somebody who's talking too loud on a cell phone to keep it down. Apparently, we'll wait only 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant, 20 minutes for a a date to show up before we leave, and 20 minutes for the last person to show up at Thanksgiving dinner before we're ready to dive in and eat. So apparently, there are certain times in in our minds that are acceptable before we take some kind of action. We're only willing to wait so long. We're a fast food high-speed, video streaming, text messaging generation. We walk fast, we talk fast, we drive fast, so it's no wonder that patience is becoming a lost virtue. But you remember, James has been teaching us this whole time that we've been together, he's been teaching us how to put our faith into action. And in our lesson today, he's going to be challenging us to put our faith into action, specifically by being patient and being prayerful especially when it comes to times in times of suffering because God meets us with his power as we exercise patience and we pray in faith. And that's what I want us to learn as we look at this lesson today, that God meets us with his power as we exercise patience and we pray in faith. 
So we're going to look at this lesson in two parts. The first part is going to be the power of patience. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 7 through 12 of James. And then we're going to look at the power of prayer, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. So are you ready to dive in? In this very, very last chapter in James, I'm so sad. I'm going to miss James. He's become a friend as he taught us so much about how to grow up in our faith. Well, James began his letter by encouraging believers who were suffering trials of various kinds. Remember, way back in October, when we started chapter 1 of James, he said this to us. He said, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have its full effect And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, as we have studied this letter, we've learned that the recipients of this letter were suffering from all kinds of worldly temptations, including, as we discovered, the temptation to speak out in anger, to not be bridled in their speech using the way they use their tongue. They were experiencing favoritism in the church between the rich and the poor. They were experiencing oppression in their community, the rich lording over them and oppressing them. They were in danger of becoming apathetic in their faith. They were, um, their temptations were being heightened as they grew apathetic. They were more tempted to become worldly, to become, have an attitude of worldliness, to be judgmental towards each other. And all of this, of course, was fueling potentially feelings of pride. And then as we looked at last week, kind of a blatant disregard of God's plans and purposes for their life. So all of this was going on. This was a really hard time for the early first century Christians, but many of these things that we've talked about that they were suffering from are things we also deal with in our 2020, a year of life in a very, very different culture. So now as James is preparing to close this letter, he's encouraging us and them, he's encouraging all of us to patiently endure, knowing that one day Jesus is coming back. He says in verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? He said, be patient, because actually the Lord is going to come back. He's going to come back. He says three times. Verse 7, he says, until the coming of the Lord. In verse 8, he says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And in verse 9, he says, the judge is standing at the door. I don't know about you, but I so yearn for the Lord to come back. The older I get, the more that I yearn for him just, I yearn for him just to come and to reveal himself plainly for everyone to see and everyone to believe that, it, that he is who he says he is. I feel like there's a sense in which in this life we're constantly holding our spiritual breath. Um, we're, we're, um, we're struggling. It's a struggle. Even as a, as a committed person who loves the Lord, As we just sang our worship songs to him and praises him, there is a real struggle, a real spiritual struggle of living by faith in a broken world where the world is increasingly restless in their waiting for Christ to return. True? I attended a Luis Palau conference on Friday. It was a conference for pastors on evangelism. And I learned that how, how intimidated believers, Christians, are becoming about sharing the gospel. Because we're living in a culture that's growing increasingly cynical and angry towards God. Um, it's, Christians are actually becoming afraid 
of being able to say something about the gospel. They're afraid that, that their reputations might be maligned if they share the gospel too boldly. They are afraid increasingly that they might become um, kind of smeared in the reputation, smeared in the public arena. And there's a fear, as you know, if you say certain things about what you believe about the truth of God, that you could be deemed judgmental or it could be said that you have hate speech. And so there's no doubt, right, we're in the last days. Our world is becoming increasingly agitated toward God and his word. One of the speakers, his name was Michael Ramsden. He is the president of Ravi Zacharias Ministries. He's one of the founders of the Oxford um, Center for Apologetics in the U.K., And he travels the globe, and he engages with world leaders to talk about faith and culture. It was amazing to have him here talking to us about what he's learning. He said, he shared with us, that people around the world are growing increasingly bitter about the injustices in life. This is a worldwide epidemic. It's not just what's happening in the U.K., in a, in a post-Christian world or in the Pacific Northwest in a post-Christian culture. He said that, that across the world, people are becoming agitated and angry at their governments and they're rising up and in rebellion about such things as, as climate change and sex trafficking and racial relations. He says that world leaders, the people that he's meeting with, are growing um, really worried about the instability of their people and the fact that their people are increasingly rising up and rebelling against their leadership. The problem, he says, is that even when justice prevails in many of these places where people are angry, he said the hearts of the people are still bitter. You know, wrongs that are righted by human efforts um, don't actually soothe the condition of the heart. Only Jesus, he said, can bring peace and transformation to the soul of a human being. So the truth is that that the cross is the only thing commensurate to the injustices of our world. And Jesus, of course, we know, suffered the ultimate injustice, a perfectly sinless person dying for the sins of humanity. And so only Jesus can offer the grace needed for people to receive forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. This is why we yearn for Jesus to return. This is why we yearn for him to come back. And James says that we need to be patient in this time of suffering as we wait. While the world is going to be continually spinning out in anger, we have to patiently endure as agents of God's love and peace until Christ comes back. We've got good news to share with a world that is deeply hurting. Now, to be patient or to endure, to remain steadfast, it means actually to remain under great stress. Or it means to stay put and stand fast when you would really love to run away. And James then gives us three examples of what it looks like to be patient. And the first example he tells us is the example of a farmer. He says in verse 7, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, Farmers are patient because they know they're absolutely powerless over weather conditions and how weather conditions are going to affect their crops. They know how to trust God in the areas that they absolutely can't control. So in this culture that James was speaking, they would, the farmers would plant their crops in the fall, and then they would have to wait all the way till spring for the harvest to come. 
And if there was too much rain, then the ground would become soggy and the plants wouldn't thrive. And if there was too little rain, then the ground would become hard and the plants wouldn't be able to grow. They'd wither if it was too hot. And the farmer, he, he learned how to wait. He learned how to plant in the fall and wait all the way till spring for the harvest to be ready. And he was able to do that patiently and prayerfully because the harvest was so worth it. The harvest for a farmer is so worth the waiting. Now, in the same way, our hearts, the Bible tells us this in Luke 8, our hearts are like soil. And God is like the farmer who plants the seed of his word into the soil of our hearts. Now, some seasons of life are like perfect balances for us of like rain and sunshine. And there are times when spiritually we just flourish. It's just easy to grow and to mature in our faith. But there are other seasons that are either too dry or too soggy. And in those seasons, we just have to trust that underground, God is still working to mature us through the different kinds of challenges that we're dealing with. Spiritual growth and maturity takes patience, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And James is going to explain then how do we wait And he says, well, you wait by establishing your hearts or by standing firm. You know, notice it's a very active kind of waiting. It's not like we wait by kicking back in an easy chair and putting our feet up and just being apathetic and passive about life. Certainly the farmer doesn't wait that way. The farmer has to wait by fertilizing and tilling and watching over the soil and doing all that he can to get the best crop possible. In the same way, we don't wait passively. We, we stand firm. We actually fortify ourselves against the struggle of sin. We persevere through the, the difficulties and the challenges in our life. And how do we do that? Well, we do it by allowing the Spirit of God to actually lighten our hearts. God is actually the one who strengthens us emotionally with this kind of fortitude that allows us to endure suffering. Psalm 55 22 tells us that we're to cast our burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then James tells us, you know, don't complain in the process. He says in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The reality is is that when we become impatient, we tend to get frustrated, and then we begin to vent that frustration on the people around us, don't we? And when we do that, we actually spread discouragement and despair to the people that are in our sphere of earshot, of hearing how we're grumbling. And if you're in a context of a church, you can also be fostering disunity among people. And so one of the ways that we can protect ourselves from grumbling is to understand, as James has been teaching us, that our tongues are really, really powerful. With just a spark, a forest can be set ablaze. So when we restrain our temptation to complain and grumble, then we actually let God be the rightful judge of whatever circumstance or situation that we're dealing with, and we experience the blessing of, of patience. So that's the farmer, first example. The second example that James gives us is of the prophet. He says in verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
Now, I am so glad that James actually uses an example of a prophet, because if you think about it, the prophets were faithfully obeying God's word, and they were actually going out into very hostile cultures like we live in and faithfully proclaiming God's word. They were doing exactly what God had asked them to do faithfully, and they persevered even though they were persecuted for it. And sometimes I think we forget that obedience to God actually doesn't guarantee a pain-free life. We often experience greater difficulty when we choose to follow Christ because we actually make different kinds of decisions. Like we, instead of walking away from a broken relationship and attributing all of the problem to the other person, we actually, with God's help, have courage to step into those broken relationships and try to bring healing and reconciliation. And that is actually more painful sometimes than just walking away. Or in hard situations in our workplaces or in our schools where we have uh, temptations to cheat rather than to be full of integrity. It's oftentimes harder to do the thing that's full of integrity than it is to cheat. So being a Christ follower is really actually very difficult. We should never think that obeying God brings a blessing of ease and comfort. Now, after all, Jesus was the crowning example of, a, of perfect obedience. And where did it lead him? To the cross. But as we look back at the stories of the prophets, one thing that we do see very consistently is that God cares for his own. He provides strength and power for times of suffering for them, and he exalts them. He exalts anyone who serves faithfully on this earth. So the patience of the prophets reminds us this. It reminds us that it's important to persist in sharing the good news of the gospel, even when we endure criticism or public scorn. We must continue to to share the peace of Christ with those who are rallying against the injustices of this world. We have to press on and speak of God's goodness and grace even when we are personally going through hard times in our own lives. We need to continue to testify by our faith in our own times of suffering and go out and proclaim the good news and the grace of Jesus. Job now is the third example that he gives. And he says this in verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I don't think there's any story in all of Scripture that is full of more suffering than the story of Job. Job lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost his children, his wife and his, and his friends turned against him. There were times when he thought that God had abandoned him, that God wasn't hearing his cries, they were just falling on deaf ears, and yet Job never lost his faith in the Lord. He was steadfast in his hope in God despite all the circumstances that seemed to indicate to him that God had abandoned him. Now the story of Job teaches us that there are things happening in the spiritual realm that affect our lives and cause us to suffer. So Job, if you might remember, His life was going along really, really well. He was blessed with abundance in every category of life. But then his life took a very dramatic turn when Satan asked God if he could test him. Satan proposed to God that the reason that Job loved him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength was that God had blessed him with so much abundance. And so Satan asked if he could test Job to prove whether he would still be righteous if everything was taken away. 
And so in the story of Job, we see, yes, he was still faithful to God. He never despaired, never turned his back on God. And in the end, God restored to him more, more abundance and blessing than he'd ever had previously. But here's the thing. The story of Job reminds us that we need to be patient in times of suffering because God may be allowing us to walk through a season of hardship for a much higher purpose. He may be using our story as an example to, to encourage others in their faith. Um, he may be um, using our suffering to refine our character, to grow us up in Christ-likeness. He may be teaching us about how compassionate and merciful he is as a comforter in times of sorrow. Nothing in our lives is ever, ever wasted but with God. Everything is used for our good and for his greater purposes. And then James goes on to kind of share, to remind us that as we patiently endure suffering, it actually builds our character. And as our character is built, then we become more trustworthy with our words. And as we're more trustworthy with our words, then people actually begin to believe that what we say is really true. So he goes on to tell us this in verse 12. He says, But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So what Job is basically saying is we should never just invoke God's name with an oath. And I'm not saying like not when you're in court and you swear by God's name that you're going to tell the truth. That's very different. But it's, you know, you say um, things like, as God is my witness, I will never do that again. Or you say, oh God, if you'll save me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Okay. What he's saying is don't do that. You shouldn't have to invoke God's name and make rash promises that you'll never be able to keep. He says, instead, patiently trust God. Trust God to work out his plans and purposes in your life. Be full of integrity as you wait so that your words actually mean something when you say them. Well, here's the truth that I think we can learn from, from these examples. We can remain patient in times of suffering because God meets us with his grace. That's how we remain patient in times of suffering because God meets us with his grace. I think one of the greatest examples, which you got to see in your lessons this week, is the Apostle Paul. We know that Paul was suffering, and his suffering was creating pain in his life, whether it actually was a physical suffering or spiritual suffering or a combination of both. He talks about having a thorn in his side. And um, he pleaded with God time and time again to remove the suffering from him. But then he came to realize that God actually had a higher purpose for this suffering. Because you see, Paul had been given a revelation of heaven that was so beyond anything I think any other human being had, had witnessed and still alive on this earth. And he understood that God was allowing this suffering in order to keep him humble and tethered to him. Paul had a big calling on his life. He had to go spread the good news of, of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he was, was humble before God and dependent before God as he did. He had to exercise incredible patience, not only to sustain his physical body, but to sustain the spiritual strength that he needed to do what God had called him to do. This is what it, the story says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, I imagine that we all have situations in our life where we really need God's help to be patient. Most likely, it's patience in some area of suffering, relationally or um, financially or um, in your career. Or There's so many aspects that we suffer. Maybe for you, you have a health issue like Paul or a strained relationship in your family, in your neighborhood, in your friend group. Um, maybe you have a circumstance at your workplace or in your school or in your church or your area of ministry. Maybe you're just frustrated with yourself because, like all of us, it's sometimes two steps forward, one steps back. You make a little bit of progress and then you fall back. And maybe it's an addiction or maybe it's something that has a strong grip on your life and it's frustrating just not to make progress. Maybe you're just impatient waiting for God to change your heart. You're like, Lord, I'm doing all the right things, but I'm still struggling in these attitudes of bitterness or anger, resentment, whatever it could be. Why does God sometimes make us wait for resolutions to these areas of suffering? Well, I read a cool story this week from a book called It Happens After Prayer. And this is a story the author told that I think just gives us a really cool insight into why sometimes we have to be patient and wait. One hot afternoon, a woman walked to her neighbor's produce stand to buy grapes. The line was long, and each person seemed to get special attention, but she waited patiently. When she finally made it to the front of the line, the owner asked for her order. She asked for grapes. Please excuse me a moment, was the answer. And then the owner walked away and disappeared behind a building. And for some reason, this really rubbed the woman the wrong way. Everyone in line ahead of her was being warmly greeted. They were given special attention. But most importantly, they were served immediately. And she was forced to wait. And when she got to the front of the line, she was forced to wait some more. And she was offended. She felt the owner had taken her regular business for granted. The longer she waited, the angrier she became. Finally, the produce stand owner reappeared with a big smile, and he presented her with the most beautiful grapes she had ever seen. He invited her to taste them, and she had never tasted grapes so good. And as she turned to leave with her des delicious grapes, he stopped her and said, Oh yeah, I'm sorry I kept you waiting, but I needed the time to get you my very best. See, life requires patience. And sometimes we forget that it's in the waiting where God is working behind the scenes to give us his very best. Well, now James gives us his final word, and it's about the power of prayer. You might remember that James was a prayer warrior. When we first started our lesson, we noticed that his name, he was told that his name is, actually his nickname is Camel Knees. James was a man who spent so much time on his knees, apparently, prostrate before the Lord in prayer, that people called him camel knees because he had big calluses right here. So he closes us, it seems appropriately, with, he closes this letter with a, a reminding us of the great privilege that we have to come before the Lord in prayer and in praises. This is actually 
Prayer is actually a mark of spiritual maturity. It's how we actually put our faith into action is when we pray. So he's going to describe now four examples of how we're to pray. He starts off and he says, first, he said, pray for those who are suffering. In verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. So he's saying, you know, whether you're suffering or whether you're celebrating, prayer is the response of faith to God. I think about how often do we fall on our faces, fall on our knees when we have a crisis. We, we pray, 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 pray through a crisis. But for some reason, when times are good and times are easy, we sort of forget to pray. For some reason, we, we think, oh, well, times are good because of all the human circumstances in our life. But when times are bad, we're pleading with God in prayer. And God says, look, in suffering, God meets us with his grace and strength. He actually delivers us through our trials, not from always from our trials. We need him as we walk through our trials. We need to be in prayer. But in times of gladness, in times of cheerfulness, in times of goodness, it's wonderful to praise God because every time we do in a time of, of goodness and cheerfulness and happiness, we're actually reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness. And when we praise him, we're actually marking in our, in our own story how faithful God has been. We're actually creating defining moments where we, we stop and we praise and we remember. And then the next time suffering comes around the bend, we have these, all of these defining moments to remind us of all the times God was good and lavish in his blessing. And we need that because we're so forgetful as people. It's so easy for us in a hard time to remember how faithful God has been. But if we can capture in praise these really great things that happen in our lives, it will help sustain us through the next cycle of suffering. Most importantly, we need to know that God is always with us. He always welcomes us into a relationship with him of what's called conscious, constant communion. Constant, conscious communion. Constant, always. Conscious, awareness. Communion, prayer with God. It's like living your life with this, this continual awareness that he is with you, he sees you, he's listening to you, he knows you, he's always available to you. So we should pray for those who are suffering. And then he says, you should pray for those who are sick. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, sometimes we are actually sick in the body. Physically, we have something that we need prayer for. And sometimes we're sick in the soul. We've just been so entrenched in sin. And we need others to wrap around us and help pray for either physical healing or for forgiveness and for a release from those strongholds of addiction or whatever it is. So James encourages us to go to seek the elders or the spiritual leaders of the church who can support us in times of prayer. Actually, what he's saying is that we need each other. We need the body of Christ to come together and help us when we're struggling or discouraged. 
Now, as a pastor, I've had many opportunities to gather with the other pastors and pray over people who've come and said, I need prayer. I need prayer for this, this medical diagnosis, or I need prayer for my marriage, or I need prayer for these different circumstances. And it's such a privilege when we get to lay hands on someone and pray for them. And this pattern of anointing with oil is something that we also do. It's the oil, it's symbolic of setting a person apart unto God for his will to be done in their life. It's an act of faith, and it's very symbolic. And from these times of prayer, I have seen amazing miracles of healing. I have seen people healed, maybe not in that moment, but in the next days or weeks or months that followed, I've seen beautiful healing of of marriages, of physical bodies, of of sin that has been, um, someone's repented of and not turned back. It's been amazing. And I have also witnessed some beautiful provisions of grace for a person to actually endure their suffering and enter into the presence of Jesus at the appointed time. The point is, I think, that we are designed to live in community with other believers. We need each other. And God has provided grace and strength through a community of people who gather to pray, to seek each other in prayer. One of my favorite times to pray is on Wednesdays at noon when we meet downstairs in room 112 for an hour and we pray. We pray for the world and for the city and for the church and for each other and for all the needs that come through uh, this church um, in a fishbowl of where people drop their prayer cards off. And it is, it is the sweetest, sweetest time. And I always walk away from that time Um, so encouraged, but I also walk away feeling like there is nothing more important than what I've just done with this, with this community of people. It's, there's just nothing. This is, this is faith in action is gathering with others to pray. And we see God do amazing, amazing things. And everyone is welcome to join us anytime, just an hour, but I know it's hard if you have kids and schedules and work, but you're welcome. And even if you're not there, we're praying. Um, But I also love seeing this happening in your river groups. I love how you're coming together and you're sharing prayer requests and you're lifting each other up and you're you're seeing um, what God is doing behind the scenes of each other's lives and you're seeing answers to prayer. And it's just so beautiful to gather together as a community and pray. The third thing he says is that we're to pray for those who lead nations, verses 17 through 18. He uses Elijah as an example. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I'm sorry that you didn't get directed to 1 Kings uh, 17 and 18 to actually read the whole story of Elijah in your lessons this week. And I really encourage you to do that if you have some time. Because Elijah was a righteous man who knew what to pray according to God's word. Um, God's spirit gave him discernment to know how to pray for miraculous events that evidenced God's power and his sovereign lordship over the earth. The purpose of these prayers was actually to get the attention of Israel's rulers and initiate a time of national repentance. That was the purpose for his prayers and for the amazing signs of the rain and the withholding of rain that he experienced. So we too must pray for our nation's leaders and we must pray for our world leaders. And we don't even know how to pray. So we have to start by saying, Lord, show me how to pray for these leaders. We need God's wisdom and we need God's discernment, but we also need faith to persist. I think sometimes we just give up. We feel like it's so far beyond us. 
But we need faith to persist in praying and not despair over the condition of our world. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the earth, and he's actually sovereign over the nations. And we have a role to play in asking him to show his power in miraculous ways that will humble our world leaders and drive their hearts to seek and find God. And actually, Paul speaks about this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Well, now the fourth thing that he gives as an example is, he says, pray for those who wander from the faith. It's just interesting that, that these, are, these are his closing words to us. Pray for those who wander from the faith. James's whole letter has been about living out our faith, putting our faith in action, growing up in spiritual maturity, and now he's saying, Now you got to pray for those who are wandering away. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now I would imagine in this room, um, many of us know someone who's wandered away from the truth of God's word. I know some of your stories, some of you have teenagers, some of you have adult children who were raised in the faith, who, who know the Lord as their Savior, and they've just stepped away. They've stepped away from church, they've stepped away from God's Word, they've stepped away from community. Um, many, many have stepped away. And, or maybe you were actually a person who had wandered away, and someone came alongside you and helped direct you back to the truth of who God is and who you are in Christ. James calls us to pray. Because prayer is the most powerful instrument of heart change on the planet, and it is available to us 24-7. We are to pray and wait, and wait and pray. We're to ask God to do what only he can do, and then we're to be ready to engage when it's time for us to do our part. There is actually no slick formula for wooing people back to their roots of faith. But there actually are a few things that I'd like to suggest that we could do while we're waiting, an act of waiting for God to do what he can do on the human heart. So let me share some of those with you. First, I think that we need to remain steadfast in our own personal walk with the Lord. Our lives are living examples of what it is to walk by faith in suffering and in times of good, to persevere with patience. And so we need to be steadfast in our our walk with Christ. Secondly, we're to pray with fervor when we pray. Um, That means that we engage our hearts with the words that we're saying in such a way that we're actually yearning for for the deeper things that we're asking God to do. So I like to say, pray until you pray. Start by just uttering words to God, but then keep praying until your heart is so captivated by the deepest desire that you have for this kind of change that you begin praying really praying, lifting off in your prayers to where you're really beseeching God for those deepest desires of your heart. Thirdly, be patient and wait on the Lord, praying continually. We want things to happen so quickly, but it takes a lot of time for human hearts to be changed. And you gotta be patient and faithful as you're waiting. Fourth, listen and notice signs of a softening heart in another person. And pray then about how God might want to use you to help bring a wandering soul home. Just notice, listen, pay attention. 
And then lastly, be ready and willing to engage with whomever the Lord places in your path. You might be the Lord's instrument to bring someone else's wandering loved one home. How often do we pray, oh God, put somebody in their path who will direct them back to you. You might be that person in someone else's story. The truth is that prayer is the greatest source of power in the world. Do you believe that? Prayer is the greatest source of power in the world. And I want to challenge you that if you do really believe that, are you praying? Are you setting aside time every day to pray? The secret the Bible tells us to powerful and effective prayer is to actually ask for something in the name of Christ that is according to his word and for his glory. Okay? Ask for something in the name of Christ that is according to his word and for his glory. You know, we have had so many amazing truths that have come through this book of James, this letter. So let me ask you this. Is there something you've learned in our study of James that you really want to apply to your life in a transformational way? Your last question in your lesson, I hope, leaders, that you'll save some time for that question because it is so rich to go back and look at what are the truths that I learned and how do I want to apply this to my life? I want to encourage you to start by committing a Bible verse to memory, just one. Commit it to memory and use it as a prompt for prayer. Every time you go to pray, recite that Bible verse and say, oh Lord, help me make this truth a reality in my daily life. Is there a desire of your heart that you'd like to bring before God in prayer? Pay attention. Pay attention to the desires and yearnings of your heart and bring them to God in prayer and ask him to, do, to work with your desires to align them with his will. Trust him that he is working through your prayers truly to bring glory to himself through your praises and adorations. And then James has really challenged us to put our faith into action And that means thought, word, and deed. So let me ask you this. In what area of your life do you need God's power to obey? To actually bring your thought, your words, and or your deeds before him in in obedience. Will you pray? Pray until the desires of your mouth and the utterances of your lips. The desires of your heart and the utterances of your lips connect. And then be patient. Just be patient because know that God is working behind the scenes always to prepare his very, very best for you. Because God meets us with his power as we exercise patience and as we pray in faith. Would you stand and let me pray for us as we go out into our discussion groups. Father, it's hard to believe we've come to the end of our study of James and we have received so much rich truth for our lives. We have learned so much about how to live out our faith and we've been so deeply challenged in areas where we struggle. We struggle with our words, we struggle with our attitudes, we struggle with worldly temptations and words that we say about other people. All of these things that that you've been teaching us, we have just, we want to say, Lord, we need your help. We struggle, but oh Lord, you're so good to reveal your truth to us, and you're so good to promise us that as we're patient and as we're prayerful, you will meet us with your grace. Your grace is sufficient for our weaknesses, 
and you are faithful to grow us up. I love that you say that you are going to be faithful to complete the good work that you've begun in us. And Lord, we acknowledge that just being together in, in this study, being in community, being in prayer together is part of how you're accomplishing that in our lives because you are so, so good and so faithful. And so we just commit ourselves to you, Lord. Help us be faithful and grow us up. Help us to know how to walk um, faithfully with you, steadfastly through life. And I just pray that as we go into discussion this morning that we would deeply be encouraged by the things that we get to learn from each other this morning. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.